0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, more on the atrocities in Ukraine as President Zelensky addressed the U.N. Security Council earlier today.
2: There is not a single crime that they would not commit there. The Russian military searched for and purposefully killed anyone who served our country. They shot and killed women outside their houses when they just tried to call someone who is alive. They killed entire families, adults and children, and they tried to burn the bodies.
1: Does the evidence suggest prosecutable war crimes? We'll get an answer from Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, Executive Vice President, here at the Family Research Council. What else can the U.S. do to aid the Ukrainians? We'll be joined by Texas Congressman Pat Fallon, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. I'll also get the latest on the proposed lifting of the Title 42 pandemic restrictions on the southern border. And dueling messages on Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson.
3: Every day we move closer to Judge Jackson's confirmation, the case and likelihood of her confirmation grows stronger and stronger and stronger.
1: That was Senate Democrat Leader Chuck Schumer, but Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell continued to lay out why Jackson is a problem for Republicans.
4: They said it was important for the Senate to change the ground rules and there was no obligation to confirm someone just because they are scholarly or erudite. Democrats decided that pure legal qualifications were no longer enough. They wanted judicial philosophy on the table.
1: Texas Senator Ted Cruz, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, put it more bluntly.
3: If the questions were hard, it is because her record is at the extreme. There have been 115 men and women who have served on the Supreme Court. If Judge Jackson is confirmed, I believe she will prove to be the most extreme and the furthest left justice ever to serve on the United States Supreme Court.
1: Senator Cruz joins us later here on Washington Watch. Also, we were told that it never happens. It is a solution in search of a problem. That is how those on the left have responded to efforts of pro-life lawmakers over the last several years to at least draw the line at infanticide by passing the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. The measure simply says if a baby survives an abortion attempt and is born alive, it should be given medical care, not killed. Well, the evidence may be right in front of them that the law is needed. FRC's Mary Sock is here to explain. And we'll continue that discussion with Missouri Congresswoman Vicky Hartzler chairman of the House Values Action Team. The website, TonyPerkins.com, it's all archived. It's a great place to direct your friends if they want news and information right from the newsmakers. Our verse for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 7. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you will talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This is the Jewish Shema, Judaism's basic confession of faith. Number one, it's a declaration that there is no other God but Yahweh. He and he alone should be the object of our worship and devotion. And we are to be consumed with teaching our children to do the same. When we sit, walk, lie down, and rise up. This is communicating to us that teaching our children to know God is not a pastime. It's our purpose. I invite you to join us in our two-year Bible reading plan. Go to frc.org slash Bible. I also invite you to join me each morning at 844 a.m. Eastern Time for a daily devotional based upon the daily reading. You can find it either at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the U.N. Security Council today, emphasizing both his call to hold Russia accountable for war crimes and his pleas for more support from the U.N. to help fight the ongoing war. Joining me now to discuss this is FRC's Executive Vice President, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, a founding member of the Army's elite Delta Force and former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, who in 1997 was tasked with capturing war criminals in the Balkans. General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much,
4: Tony. I'm glad to be with you.
1: General, let me ask you this question. Does the evidence that we are seeing suggest
4: there are prosecutable war crimes in Ukraine? Yeah, as I compare this to what I saw in the Balkans when I was uh, trying to run down the uh, war criminals, uh, there is no question in my mind this is, in fact, uh, war crimes. This is the deliberate targeting of not only uh, unarmed civilians or noncombatants, as they're called, but it is also uh, the targeting of places that are uh, not supposed to be targeted by international law, uh, like schools and hospitals and so forth. So I don't think there is any question that you have massive amounts of war crimes that are being conducted here. So, General, what then are the next steps? What needs to happen now is that uh, the United Nations and the U.S. has to be part of that uh, needs to start doing investigations as quickly as possible. Uh, and that's going to take some period of time because they have to find eyewitnesses that, can, uh, that are, in fact, people that are ultimately willing to testify in court. And then they need to ensure that in the case of uh, a bombing of a civilian target, for example, uh, an airplane drops a bomb on it, that there were no other targets close by. And the reason is because they can simply say, well, it was collateral damage. We were actually bombing the uh, ammo depot down at the end of the block. So uh, they've got to do those two things, and they've got to have eyewitness accounts that ultimately will result in what we would consider to be an indictment and then uh, and then a warrant Essentially, they may call it something different, but it's a warrant, and then uh, you go after those people, and uh, and that's what we were doing in the Balkans. Was uh, the task force that I ran was five nations, and uh, and we had all agreed to go after these war criminals, and we went after war criminals from the three warring factions, and we brought many of them to uh, to the Hague for trial, and. Um, as I have uh, probably mentioned to you before, a couple of them decided they wanted to fight it out and and uh, they they didn't uh, make it to The hague uh,
1: General. One final question for you. Uh, what we have seen coming out of uh, uh, and and other places is that there were you know people civilians uh, looks like executed if these orders came down from you know, we don't know how high up they may have come from. Maybe they were at the the, just basic company level or squad level. Regardless, there's going to be accountability all the way up to whoever
4: allowed this, ordered it, and those who actually pulled the trigger. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, it goes back to 1946 when uh, Douglas MacArthur went to the Philippines to uh, to try General Homa and General Yamashita. And Yamashita just swore that he didn't know what was going on in the Philippines. He didn't know anything about the atrocities, about the Bataan Death March, for example. But they uh, hung him, and, and they killed uh, his, his cohort, uh, General Homa, as well, by a uh, firing squad. But that, was, that became known as the Yamashita uh, extension, And and what it was basically saying was that uh, you were the commander. You were the senior most person you should have known. If you didn't, it's incompetence on your part.
1: General Boykin, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your expertise and experience with us today. Thank you, Tony. Well, we've discussed uh, that the evidence suggests there are prosecutable war crimes that have occurred in Ukraine. Join me now to discuss how the U.S. should respond going forward is Congressman Pat Fallon. He is uh, among the congressional, among a congressional de- delegation that traveled recently to Eastern Europe. He is a member of the Committee on Armed Services and represents Texas' 4th uh, di- Congressional District. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tony,
0: thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: First, uh, tell us about your recent trip to, uh, to Eastern Europe. What did you see? What did you learn while you were in the region?
0: Well, Tony, I'm very glad I went. We went to Poland, Romania, and Moldova and did cross into the Ukraine just on the frontier for about 30 minutes and got out to talk to some Ukrainian frontier officials. But it was very eye-opening in so much as on, on several fronts, one of which was on the humanitarian front. There are 10 million Ukrainians that have been displaced, 6 million within Ukraine, And 4 million have left. 2 million of them are in Poland. 2 million, Tony. That's 5% of the entire population of Poland. And yet there are no major refugee camps or centers because the Polish people have opened up their homes to those 2 million, largely women and children, uh, mostly. And Romania, the same thing, not to the extent in in Poland, but uh, in Moldova, a tiny country, one of Europe's poorest, if not the poorest country, not a NATO country, Moldova, uh, but they have processed 400,000 refugees from Ukraine, and there are also uh, no major refugee camps in Moldova. And so the hearts of the people in those countries are huge. And uh, particularly with Poland and Romania, very appreciative that they're in NATO, in considering what they're seeing uh, on their eastern borders.
1: That uh, generosity, hospitality can only go so far, as you say, 5% of the population. We've seen this in the Middle East after uh, previous wars where we've had uh, countries that have, like Jordan, taken in many, many refugees, and at some point it becomes a challenge for those countries, their economies. Given what we know now and the evidence that's being presented, what are the next steps in terms of both humanitarian and military aid to Ukraine?
0: Yeah, we have to continue to, uh, the, the United States, the West, you know, the NATO alliance has to provide Ukraine with the weapons that they need to win this fight. And we've been calling in. In fact, we signed a letter, and I just asked Secretary Austin about it today in a committee hearing. We signed a letter back in November with Ranking Member Rogers on Armed Services in the House and Ranking Member Enhoff in the Senate to encourage and beseech and plead uh, Mr. Biden to send as much asymmetrical and military uh, assistance as possible back in November. Unfortunately, administration dragged defeat, so where do we go now? The Ukrainians have given us a list of the things that they'd like uh, to have in their possession, if at all possible. Uh, what, you know, Kind of on top of that list is the S-300, which is a uh, SAM, a surface-to-air missile system that's very effective, almost as effective as our Patriot system. Some of our Eastern European allies have those, and we would like to backfill them with the, the Patriots. But we also need to continue to give them to javelins and the stingers, um, but also um, switchblade drones, that can, can loiter in the air and then deliver munitions very accurately deep into enemy territory. That's one of the reasons why the Russians were you know, pretty much stopped in their tracks north and west of Kiev. They couldn't encircle it because, first of all, the will of the Ukrainian uh, people and their military has been extraordinarily strong. They have a high morale. But as you just mentioned, Tony, this cannot go on forever. So we need to also provide them with economic assistance and humanitarian assistance as well.
1: Uh, Congressman, we're up against the breakback, 30 seconds. You've been very outspoken about rescinding Title 42 that has been used to stem the tide at the border. Democrats now coming on board saying, yeah, we need to keep that in place. But is it enough to see this administration reverse course? Do you think they'll reverse course
0: or are they going to rescind Title 42? Uh, yeah, I think they'll rescind it, Tony. Unfortunately, what Joe Biden's administration had proven is they take a left turn at every given opportunity. Uh, and you see the Democrats knowing that it's going to be, it's already a catastrophe. I don't know what the next uh, superlative is that we use beyond catastrophe, but that's what we're looking at if we rescind Title 42.
1: All right, Congressman Pat Fallon, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tony. God bless you. All right, folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break. the Biden administration Uh, They don't want to touch the NCAA when it comes to biological men swimming in women's swimming meets. But they're all ready to jump in the classroom in Florida. We're going to talk about that next with Meg Kilgannon. Don't go away. Back with more right after this.
5: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily Scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture... It is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, schools
6: to six seven seven four
1: two. You are listening to Washington Watch, and the website is TonyPerkins.com. So good to have you with us. Share that website with your friends. There might be those that are outside the uh, radio signals of Washington Watch, and that would be one way that they could tune in. TonyPerkins.com. Right, despite an ongoing war in Europe and inflation like we haven't seen in 40 years here at home, the Biden administration continues its laser-like focus. Actually, it's not a focus. It's an obsession with appeasing the transgender lobby. I've never seen anything like it. They've launched an all-out attack on the common sense parental rights and education bill recently passed in Florida.
7: And then one about this new law in Florida. At what age does the White House think that students should be taught about sexual orientation and gender
2: identity? Well, I would say, uh, first of all, Peter, um, we have spoken to uh, the Don't Say Gay bill in the past, I believe is what you're referring to, and made clear that uh, as we look at this, uh, this, uh, this law, uh, what we think it's a reflection of is politicians in Florida propagating misinformed, hateful policies that do n- absolutely nothing to address uh, the real issues.
1: The real issues. The real issues are parents do not want radical leftists indoctrinating their children in kindergarten. We're talking about kindergarten, first grade, second grade and third grade. Did you notice she could not answer the question at what age, at what age is it inappropriate? At what age should children be free from the left's indoctrination? The reason she couldn't answer it is because the left wants to get children at the earliest ages. That's why the Biden administration is pushing for early childhood education. You know, we've talked about this on this program many times. George Barna and his research has put compelling evidence forward that a worldview is formulated between 15 months of age and 13 years. They want to get to the minds of children as early as possible. Join me now to discuss this is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program.
7: Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me back.
1: Well, absolutely. Always love to have you on the program. Polling shows that most parents, even if they're Democrats, support the actual language in the Parental Rights and Education Bill out of Florida. In fact, I could not find a single category of voters, of citizens that did not support the bill.
7: That's absolutely true, because parents, by and large, understand that there is an innocence of childhood that is sacrosanct, and it is something that needs to be protected, and parents want to protect that innocence. And so too often parents are willing to sort of to outsource sex education because of their natural inclination to not want to broach these topics with children. We'll let the experts handle it. Well, the expert handling this topic is you, the parent, because God gave these children to you. And you know how they got here. And you know how to discuss this with them. Um, it's not something that you should be outsourcing, and it's nothing we should be ashamed of discussing with our children. God's plan for human sexuality is beautiful, and it's only when, when people who don't understand that plan try to educate children about it, that's when you have all these problems. That's when Jen Psaki has to read from her notes because she is telling a lie. Um, She is not telling the truth. She is not that their policies are not in accordance with God's plan for human sexuality. And so, of course, she's going to have to check her notes and read from the script, because what are they saying today? What is the latest
2: claim?
1: You know, it's a really important point that you made, that parents need to be having these conversations with their children. Of course, I'm constantly talking about how we need parents to talk to their children about God, about what he who he is what he's done for us and what he expects from us but we also need to talk about the practical things and and that is a part of educating our children because look I'm telling you, we've we've discovered that Disney is all too eager to talk to your kids about sex but uh, you know their versions a little goofy it's going to come out uh, everything's going to be all twisted and upside down this there's a fixation of this administration on the transgenderism and in particular Children, and, and I go back to what I just said a few moments ago. I think it is because they know that these are the formative years, and they want to shape the minds of these children. Because then, just as the scripture says, train up a child when they're young in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. So, what they're trying to do is get them on the wrong track early.
7: That's right, and we all, we all need to be aware, even though this can seem so, somewhat nerdy and out of touch. We need to be aware that this, this need to talk to children about sexual matters is because these people have bought into a philosophy called queer theory. And that means that that is a tool for revolutionizing society. It's a part of cultural Marxism. So, because Americans don't respond to a socialist message for economic reasons, although perhaps we will start in this economy, traditionally we've had a strong economy in the United States, and those arguments haven't resonated with Americans. So, they decided to use cultural Marxism to foment revolution through cultural means, by having a, an oppressor versus oppressed, class structure argument. And that's why we have critical race theory, queer theory, all these critical examinations and philosophies that are taught in education schools now are the, the end result of that. That The reason that this is such a push is because they want to turn our children into activists. They want yeah. a revolution. And it sound, that sounds kind of crazy. It's, it's a little, it's crazy and nerdy all at the same time, but it is absolutely true. And the easiest place to see it is in this complete obsession with talking to children about sexual matters, excluding parents deliberately, and being outraged at the thought that they would be prevented from having access to children um, to talk about these things and, and have to check with parents first.
1: Yeah, you know, I've, I've been criticized. Yeah, I, I've been criticized for saying this, but I, I, I can't see it any other way. I mean, this is the ultimate rebellion against God. Uh, you know, we've denied Him as the Creator. We've kicked Him out of our schools. No longer prayer. No longer Bible reading. I mean, I can remember my third grade teacher having the Bible on the desk and reading it. No more. But this is the ultimate. In rebellion, saying that you did not only did you not make me, but I will define who I am myself, my own gender. Uh, this is uh, a dangerous place for a culture to be. Meg Kilgannon, thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
7: Thank you for having me, Tony.
1: All right, coming up next, the most liberal member of the court ever. That's what Senator Ted Cruz says If uh, Judge Jackson is confirmed, he joins us next to talk about it. Don't go away.
8: What
9: is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Well, uh, a few additional Republican senators indicating yesterday they plan to support Katanji Brown Jackson's nomination to the Supreme Court. Her path to confirmation is all but uh, certain. But her road to nomination faced many questions. The Senators raised concerns over both her leniency as a judge sentencing child pornography offenders. I mean, it was pretty revealing. And, of course, there was her inability or more likely refusal to define what a woman is. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Senator Ted Cruz from Texas. He serves on the Senate Judiciary Committee, the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations, the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation, the Joint Economic Committee, and the Senate Committee on Rules and Administration. And he made the statement yesterday that if confirmed she would be the most liberal justice to ever serve on our nation's high court. Senator, welcome back to the program.
3: Tony, great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Senator Schumer declared this morning that Judge Jackson's likelihood of being confirmed is all but settled. Despite this, what issues should the American people be aware of that she is going to be taking to the court that could shape justice for this nation going forward?
3: Well, unfortunately, it does appear that she is on a path to confirmation and looks like all the Democrats are going to vote for her and three Republicans are voting for her as well. Uh, And I think that is really unfortunate because I believe, based on her record, she is going to prove to be the most left wing justice to ever serve on the Supreme Court. Um, What that will mean is a practical matter. I think she will vote. Uh, to overturn Heller versus District of Columbia, the the landmark case that protects our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. I think she will vote to overturn Citizens United, the landmark case that protects our free speech, our our right to engage in the political process. I I think she will vote uh, to overturn fundamental protections for our religious liberty, including Zelman versus Simmons-Harris, the landmark case that upholds school choice programs across the country. All three of those cases were five to four, one vote away from reversal, and I think she will be a hard left vote. Uh, On life, I think she will vote to strike down every single restriction on abortion you can find across the country. That means prohibitions on partial birth abortion. That means requirements for parental notification or parental consent. I think she will be at the extreme left. And then, Tony, you mentioned the area where her record is, is most out of the mainstream, and that's on crime. Uh, she has been a judge for nearly a decade, and as a federal district judge, she consistently had a pattern of sentencing criminal defendants to much, much less uh, than the sentencing guidelines provided, much, much less than the prosecutors asked for, and much less than her peers. If you look nationally at the records nationally, her average sentence for all crimes— Uh, was 29.9 months. So that's that's the average sentence for all types of crime. The average sentence nationally for federal district judges for all crimes was 45.1 months. So in other words, she's 34% below the average of other judges. But where her record really gets extreme is with regard to sexual predators, in particular those offenders guilty of child pornography. Uh, For those who possess child pornography, the average sentence nationally is 68 months. Her average sentence was 29.2 months, 57% below the national average. And for those who distribute child pornography, the average sentence was 135 months, so 11 years. Her average sentence was 71.9 months, 47% below the average. And, and what I think that means is as a justice, she is going to be a vote that will consistently side with criminal defendants. That will, I think she will vote to strike down the death penalty nationally, and I think she will consistently vote to release criminals from jail, to create loopholes, to create technicalities. She will side with violent predators and, and with sex offenders over and over and over again because that's her record of what she's done as a judge on, on the federal district court.
1: Senator Cruz, you're a student of the Supreme Court. You've been there. You've watched it. You've worked there more. I mean, we know she's going to be she's replacing a liberal. She's going to be to the left. But what influence, what shaping power will she have inside the court?
3: Well, I think she may have very significant shaping power. She'll be replacing Justice Stephen Breyer. Um, I think she will be way, way, way to the left of Breyer. Breyer, uh, will occasionally vote on the conservative side of the aisle. Uh, before I was in the Senate, my career was litigating before the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, one of the landmark cases that I litigated and won before the Supreme Court was a defense of the Texas Ten Commandments monument, a monument that stands on the state capitol ground that, that, that commemorates the Ten Commandments. We went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we won 5-4, just one vote away, uh, and the deciding vote was Steve Breyer. Steve Breyer voted with the state of Texas to uphold that monument. If we'd have lost Justice Breyer, if Judge Jackson had been there instead of Justice Breyer, I believe Texas would have lost and the court would have ordered us to bulldoze a monument that stood on the state capitol grounds since, since 1961. As you know, the last book I wrote is called One Vote Away How a Single Supreme Court Seat right. Can Change History. And every chapter talks about these landmark 5-4 decisions that are hanging in the balance. And I think Judge Jackson will be a consistent voice pushing her colleagues to the far, far left.
1: Senator, we're out of time, but I, I do want to tell you this. I thank you, and I know our listeners and viewers do as well, for fighting. Even though the confirmation looked almost certain from the start because of the balance of the Senate being split, but you fought and we're grateful for that. That's what we want to see in our leaders fight for the things they campaign on and things that are important to this country. And you've done that. Senator, thanks for being with us.
10: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download family research council stand firm app, With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The StandFirm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications.
8: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Last week, the remains of five unborn babies were found in the house of a pro-life activist in Washington, D.C., who had privately arranged for the D.C. Police Homicide Unit to pick up the bodies for forensic examination. Their deaths are possibly... The result of partial birth abortions or infanticide that took place at a Washington surgery center. The D.C. medical examiner has refused to conduct autopsies and a police official told reporters these babies were aborted in accordance with D.C. law. But the evidence could suggest otherwise. It's worth noting that in the nation's capital, abortion is legal through birth, but it's still illegal to kill babies after they're born. Joining me now to discuss this is Mary Sock, Director of the Center for Human Dignity here at the Family Research Council. Mary, welcome back to the program.
11: Thanks so much for having me, Tony.
1: All right. Before we discuss this further, the details in this case I just mentioned emerged slowly over the course of multiple days. Um, you were a part of a press conference today. Are there any additional updates that you can share?
11: Well, today what we found out is that the, um, the 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 pro life activists who came into possession of these remains of the five unborn children received them from um, a a waste disposal company worker, a driver actually, um, who was horrified at what at what the the boxes that he was he was carrying away contained. Um, we know that the pro life activists who recovered these remains. Also, they, they recovered 110 babies who were aborted in the in the first trimester, and then the five uh, young baby boys and baby girls who were born very late term. Um, the the their their remains were were found almost completely intact. Those are the pictures that have been have been widely circulating and and causing speculation as to whether or not. These babies are are not, in fact, the victims of abortion, but instead um, are the victims of either infanticide or partial birth abortion, which is illegal throughout the United States.
1: Now, uh, Mary, I was actually just uh, texting uh, with uh, a member of Congress about this earlier this afternoon discussing it, that the fact that the opponents of the Born Alive Infant Protection Act have repeatedly said, oh, This is a solution in search for problem. This never happens. Well, this, the evidence, uh, would suggest. Now, it's not conclusive because we cannot get to the District of Columbia to do an autopsy on these uh, very late-term children that have uh, evidence to suggest that uh, their lives were taken once they were born. That's superficial evidence, but it's there nonetheless, this would be the evidence to suggest that such a law is, in fact, needed, that when a child survives a botched abortion, that they should be given medical care, not killed by a doctor.
11: It certainly is. And there have been multiple doctors who have commented on the, on the videos and on the pictures of these unborn children. One of these children was born completely contained in the amniotic sac. Um, and that that leaves questions as to how did that child die? The D.C. medical examiner, as you have said, has refused to do an autopsy to determine what the cause of death was for this unborn child. Um, but but because the child is completely contained in the amniotic sac, it does it does leave the question: Was this baby delivered alive, and then just left to die?
1: I mean, this. Brings up this debate that we've been having, you know, over the last kind of died down because it's been eclipsed by all these other issues. Uh, But we had about 200 in uh, a little over 200 members, 205, I think, uh, the final last number of uh, maybe more signing a discharge petition for the Born Alive Infant Protection Act in the House of Representatives. But Nancy Pelosi has refused to uh, just allow a vote. On the bill, but I mean, this this speaks volumes about the character of our country that in our nation's capital, very well within within walking distance of the capital itself, infanticide is being carried out.
11: It really does, Tony, and and what we've seen is is really a determination on whose life has value based on on what what. Child is wanted, and what child is unwanted, and and that is evil to its cure, to its to its core. Um, we we have seen that the states of Maryland and the state of California have both uh, brought forth legislation. They're trying to pass legislation that would legalize infanticide in law. That would uh, that would legalize uh, the the death of a child during the perinatal period. Would that would say there is no criminal penalty for that. The perinatal period. The World Health Organization defines that as up to seven days after the birth of the child. Um, so we've seen, you know, this disregard for life that that has just swept our nation, and we must turn back.
1: Well, you mentioned the World Health Organization just recently last month, actually putting out a a 210-page report with I think 25 different recommendations, and one of them demanding that countries that have gestational limits on abortion, drop those and allow abortion all the way through uh, pregnancy. And so we see, you know, the United Nations moving in one direction. Fortunately, our court pending decision there that could actually turn back uh, this country to embracing a view that is more consistent with the sanctity of human life.
11: It could. And and for those of our viewers who who are, you know, trying to encourage others to protect life in the womb, I I would encourage you to at least read the articles on what happened here in DC. Uh, You know, there are are pictures that are attached to those and those pictures are gruesome. And so viewer discretion of those is advised, but at the very least read the article and hear what happened to these little little unborn babies um, who deserve protection.
1: Absolutely. They should be welcomed into the world and protected by our laws. Mary Sock, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today.
11: Thanks so much for having me.
1: You know, this is, uh, again, the the laugh saying this Born Alive Infant Protection Act that has been waiting, waiting for I think we're coming up on three years for a vote in the House. Nancy Pelosi refusing to allow a vote on this. Evidence right there in our nation's capital. And this is defining of the character of a nation. Infanticide. That's what we're talking about. The evidence would suggest either partial birth abortion, baby partially born and then executed, or born, alive, and then it's life taken. This this is a dangerous place for a nation to be. Something that should prompt all of us to pray and pray that... God would move on the hearts of our leaders and certainly on the hearts of the court as they're about to hand down a decision. Well, joining me now to talk more about this is uh, one of our strongest pro-life al- allies on Capitol Hill. She is the chairperson of the uh, the House Values Action Team. And uh, she has been working tirelessly to pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Act. Uh, Congresswoman Vicki hartzler uh, Vicky, welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you, Tony. Good to be here.
1: You know, as you were advocating for this measure and we were pushing it through Congress, we kept hearing from Nancy Pelosi and her troops that we don't need it. Uh, this is a solution in search of a problem. Uh, this never happens. It's within walking distance of our nation's Capitol building that evidence suggests that infanticide is taking place.
2: Oh, it's just heartbreaking, and it is sickening. I mean, when this news came out, it just makes you want to cry that these little babies, first of all, didn't have the opportunity to live, but then they tried so hard, and it looks like they did live, and then the abortionists killed them, and this should be fully, fully investigated, and I agree that the medical examiner needs to look at this because we have doctors. Uh, one who used to be an abortionist and then became pro-life who has looked at the uh, evidence and the pictures and has said uh, very strongly that she believes these babies were born alive and then were killed afterwards. And that's why we have to have a full accounting of this incident and what happened so that these babies can receive the justice that they deserve. But then also we have to uh, pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act that you have cited, it has been languishing here in Congress for too many years. And as you know, every Republican in the House, including myself, has signed a discharge petition to bring this directly to the floor for an immediate vote to bypass the committees, because Nancy Pelosi and the leadership of the committees in the House don't want to pass this. They want to ignore it. They want to deny this happens. And we want to bring this right to the floor, force them for a vote. A hundred percent of the Republicans have signed on to this discharge petition. But sadly, since we're the minority, we are six votes short and there's not one Democrat that is willing to stand up for the unborn babies and sign this discharge petition. It is, it is a crime that they won't speak up uh, for these babies. And it's past time to pass this. And I'm hopeful that the voters in America We'll go to the polls this November and we'll vote for pro-life people that will send this bill uh, straight to the floor so we can vote it, we can pass it, and that there can be criminal penalties on anyone who would participate in something like this.
1: There is, well, there's a lot of issues now, but this is certainly one of the areas where we see a significant contrast between the two major parties in this country. And as we've seen, you just said it, all the Republicans, I think we're about 212 maybe, uh, that have signed the discharge petition. You've got all the Republicans saying, we want to protect the unborn. We want to draw the line. No infanticide in this country. And you can't find a single member of the Democratic Party that's willing to sign that and say the same? Wow. That says a lot.
2: Yes. And and we had a couple of pro-life Democrats here last Congress. And sadly, Nancy Pelosi recruited people to run against them in the primary and defeated them. I mean, they were so extreme. She doesn't even allow any Democrat in her caucus to speak up for life. You have to be a 100% pro-abortion or she'll come after you and defeat you. So it's a sad state, but you know, this shouldn't be a Democrat and a Republican thing. The American public overwhelmingly uh, in surveys said that a baby who is born alive after an abortion should be provided with the medical treatment they need to save their life. I mean, this is a 77 percent or higher issue with the right. average American. And so the Democratic Party is out of step with the average American, certainly in this area. And I would argue in other areas like American energy independence and our, our foreign affairs and at the border. But this is what we're talking and- about today and certainly deserves support. And I would
1: say women's sports as well, That's protecting right. it for for women and not biological men. But this is where when a party is in control and they have laid out these issues, which all of these issues are laid out in the party platforms and and the parties pretty much stick to that. And certainly the Democratic Party, they keep, they stay in lockstep. This is what you get when you have a, a left. I wouldn't say left leaning a leftist. Uh, majority in Congress that is dictating the way Congress should go. Now, there's another aspect to this, Congresswoman Hartzler, when if the D.C. if D.C. government is refusing to investigate to do an autopsy, you know, I know they have home rule, but Congress has oversight of of the District of Columbia and the Government Oversight Committee could certainly uh, rattle the saber a little bit and say, look, these are the type of things that you should be looking into. If the law has been violated, we're we're going to hold you accountable for it.
2: Yes, and I, I think we certainly can make that case. Uh, the the problem is since we are in the minority, we don't have the chairmanship of the oversight uh, committee, and we can't force them to do that or pass legislation. But we can sure make noise, and we can next well, year. Well, but there's no.
1: Take- the, the- The statute of limitations on uh, infanticide will still be in place when the Republicans have the majority if the the American people hand it to them next year. So uh, I think the uh, D.C. government should be put on notice.
2: Oh, absolutely. I was going to say that we take the majority in the fall. There are things that we can do. uh, Certainly, as you said, we can proceed uh, with statute of limitations will not be over yet. But then with through the budget process, too. We can withhold money and dictate how the money is spent in the District of Columbia, and uh, we can we can take charge and overrule what the local people say and that's definitely what needs to be, happen here because they've gone rogue and they're not even going to investigate this is unbelievable
1: Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, I want to thank you for the great job you do on Capitol Hill advancing the issues of faith family, and freedom leading the values action team. Uh, of course, you're also on the Armed Services Committee and uh, do a great job defending our men and women in the uniform, and, and we're grateful you joined us today.
2: Well, thank you, Tony. Appreciate
1: it. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler of Missouri's 4th Congressional District, a uh, another one of the, the champions, and there's a lot of them on Capitol Hill. And you know why they're there? Because you sent them there. Because you did not get discouraged by the legacy media that wants you to back up and disengage and sit on your hands. Look, you need to get involved for either some of you need to run for office, quite frankly. Others, you need to support those who are running, who share your values, who are not afraid to stand up for biblical truth. Look, I believe this country is worth fighting for. I believe truth is worth standing for, but we've got to do it together. And so I hope you're encouraged as you watch Washington Watch and you hear from men and women across this country. Who are standing for truth. You know what? You can stand for it as well, right where you are using what God has given you to defend what is so precious to all of us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.